Please be seated. And as you take your seat, you can open with me and your copy of the Word of God to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 22 this morning. We will return to the series in Romans after our Sundays in Lent. But through these Sundays, I'd like us to focus on some themes surrounding the season of Lent. We Christians mark seasons not to simply participate in what we're talking about just for that time only, but to remind us, to keep in front of us some of the major themes of the Christian life, like the birth of Jesus at Advent and the sufferings of Christ, his self-denial, his drinking of the cup during Lent. Lent is a 40-day time of prayer and fasting, a season that begins on Ash Wednesday. On Wednesday, I saw many with ashes. It reminds us, from dust we are made, and from to dust we shall return. It reminds us of the brevity of life. It reminds us that we are here to glorify God and not to build our own kingdom. It's a period of preparation to celebrate the Lord's resurrection at Easter. It's a time to look back at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a time to meditate on the words of our Lord Jesus when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We reflect on Christ's death and burial and resurrection and the fact that he lives now inside of us. We think about the significance of our baptism. Not simply our water baptism, but the fact that it points to the reality that we've been baptized into Christ's death. That we began a new life in him. And we live by faith in him daily until he returns or we go to be with him. Now, the great theologian John Murray wrote an excellent little book entitled Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Redemption Accomplished and Applied. And in that book, he goes through the, the beautiful elements of the order of our salvation. When I look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, I see not only redemption accomplished and applied, but also redemption proclaimed. Redemption proclaimed. I want you to notice these three things this morning as we look at these profound words. Redemption accomplished, and we see that in verse 18 through what Christ has done for us. And then secondly, redemption proclaimed, and we see that in verses 19 and 20 in some unusual verses concerning our Lord Jesus and what took place during his death and resurrection. Finally, redemption applied, and we see that in verses 21 and 22, as Peter looks back to the account of Noah, God's covenant with him, and what happened in the preservation of Noah and his extended family on the ark. So with an outline of the message, join me in prayer now. Let's ask God to bless our time together in the scriptures before we enjoy Holy Communion together. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. 
power, Lord, we know is in your word. And so we pray that we would be faithful to proclaim it and faithful to hear it. And so, Lord, work now mysteriously behind the scenes in the recesses of our hearts, applying that word, the word of God, to our lives. Save those who are lost, disciple the saved, and get all the glory, Lord, for what you will do in the workings of our lives. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want you to notice redemption accomplished. Look at verse 18. It's one of the New Testament's most succinct and profound statements on the doctrine of the atonement. Jesus is seen as dealing with the problem of humanity's broken relationship with God. And he does it and demonstrates this in three ways. Number one, he made the perfect offering for sin. The text says, for Christ also died for sins. It highlights the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. Jesus obeyed the law and never sinned throughout his life on earth. He fulfilled the demands of God's law that we could never fulfill. Now, Jesus didn't die by chance. He didn't die for a movement or a cause. We see people throughout history give their lives for a movement or a cause or a specific reason. No, the text says Jesus went to the cross for sins. In other words, he was our sin-bearing substitute. The text also says, once for all. Jesus' death was unique and unrepeatable. Unlike the daily and the weekly and the annual sacrifices in Israel's worship, where the blood flowed from animals, and these things could never fully and finally take away sin. That's why they were done perpetually. Peter says, no, Jesus died once for all. He removed sin. We could never pay the penalty for our sins. But God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son to die as our sin-bearing substitute. To die in our place. He made the perfect sin offering. A second reason, he endured death and the wrath of God as a penalty opposed by the law of sinners. Through death, Jesus faced the full wrath of God against sin. You'll notice the text says, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. It implies his suffering was propitiatory. That is, it satisfied the demands of God. It satisfied the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. The one person whose perfect righteousness meant that he never deserved to die endured the pains of death on behalf of all who did deserve to die as Christ perished on the cross. And as horrible as the horrors of crucifixion are, the worst possible pain was not the physical torture of crucifixion for Jesus. It was the fact that the Father, for a moment, turned away 
his gaze from the sun. And for the first time, Jesus did not enjoy that communion with the Father. Not because of his own sin, but because of our sins. As the Father's wrath was poured out in full fury on the Son. All the physical pain that could ever take place in the horrors of crucifixion could not match the spiritual pain and misery our Lord Jesus went through when he was separated from the Father for those moments as all the sin, all the wrath against human sin was poured out upon him. What happened? The third thing, he removed the barrier caused by sin and opened the way to God. Once again in verse 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Sin brings alienation from God. But Christ died in order to bring us back to God, to reestablish the relationship. In fact, we might say the Father sought to reestablish the broken relationship with us through the atoning sacrifice of his Son. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is the only way. Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the Spirit points to the work of the Spirit in restoring Jesus to life. He died physically on the cross in that his bodily functions, his respiration and circulation of blood ceased. But he also died spiritually, separated from the Father as he bore the wrath of Almighty God, which was poured out on him as he bore the responsibility for all of our sins. There was expressed the cry of dereliction by Jesus in Matthew 15, 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Spiritual death is not annihilation. And once Jesus had undergone in full God's judgment on sin, his spirit was released from the body. And on the third day, that spirit returned to raise his body at the resurrection. And so Jesus' death and burial and resurrection all point to this accomplishment of redemption. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, that's our redemption accomplished. Notice in verses 19 through 20, redemption proclaimed. This is the most challenging verses in the entire letter. Some think it means that Jesus went and declared his victory over all the angels and powers and authorities. You'll notice verse 19, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, and so forth. Even verse 22 speaks of Christ's triumph as angels and authorities and powers become subject to him subsequent to the cross. Nevertheless, verse 22 talks about things that occur after Christ's ascension. 
back to heaven, which is not the context of verses 19 and 20. Moreover, Peter refers to a specific group and time. Notice that. The spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. In the first part of verse 20, Peter references the people's disobedience during Noah's time on earth. And in 2 Peter 2.5, Peter calls Noah a herald or a preacher of righteousness. And so you see the key to the interpretation of these verses, these unusual verses, is at the end of verse 18. Christ was made alive in the Spirit. Verse 19, in which, that is, in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. You see, I believe Peter is speaking about the eternality of Jesus Christ and his voice calling out to sinners. If you separate now in prison away from this text, you get a clearer understanding in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. In other words, Christ has always been present throughout the Old Testament preaching. When he says the Spirit's now in prison, he's not giving us the location of where Christ preached. He's simply making reference to the fact that these individuals are now in prison because they did not hear the voice of Noah and subsequently the voice of Christ through Noah preaching the gospel. You see, all the way through the Bible, from the Old Testament into the New, we see the call of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, even though he wasn't born yet. We see him in Genesis 1, where the Bible says, let us make man in our image. We see it in Genesis 3, where he speaks of a singular champion who will come and crush the head of Satan. We see it in Genesis 14 in that strange figure of Melchizedek. And in Genesis 22, with a lamb caught in the thicket. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but Christ was preaching and calling sinners to himself long before and long after Noah. And Peter says that the eternal Christ has always been preaching to sinners through the Spirit, through Noah and Abraham, Moses and David. Yes, the current state of these individuals is that they're in prison. And that is where all Christ rejectors end up. And even in the time when God was gracious to Noah, and God made a covenant with Noah, signified by the rainbow, there was still disobedience. But Noah heeded the call of God, and by faith he built the ark, and only him and his family were saved. In summary, Christ was present at the ultimate, as the ultimate prophet behind the prophets of the Old Testament. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but Christ not only preached righteousness, he was and remains the righteousness of God incarnate. And he is the only one who can make us righteous before a holy God. God is pleased to save sinners through foolishness of his word preached. And God's only plan of redemption has been proclaimed and continues to be proclaimed even now. And Christ proclaimed the gospel in our reading today, but he's been doing it through the Spirit since the beginning of time. 
And even now, at the end of Revelation, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. You see, Christ not only secured redemption, he woos and he calls and he seeks to compel us to come in, to get on the ark. The ark is a representation of the church now, the only safe place to be in the arms of Jesus by faith in him and a part of his visible body, the church. Redemption is accomplished, it is proclaimed, and then notice finally it is applied in verses 21 and 22. Peter applies the picture of Noah and his family and their salvation from the deadly floodwaters. The Lord, by his grace and mercy, brought Noah and his family safely through the water. Verse 22 says, You know, our physical baptism with water symbolizes our spiritual baptism into Christ. It's clear that Peter has our spiritual baptism in mind when he says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. There's some in the Christian experience who take these words literally. Baptism now saves you. Water baptism never saved anyone. What Peter is demonstrating is not something that we could do for God, but something that God did for us. As God brought Noah and his family safely through the waters of the flood, he brings us safely to himself when we humble ourselves and we receive the sign of Christian baptism, which is a sign of the baptism of the Spirit in the heart. That's why Peter says an appeal to God for a good conscience to the resurrection, or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To be cleansed of sin is to have a clear conscience. Isn't that wonderful? Your heart and mind are at peace because Christ has dealt with and disposed of your sins. When people believe the gospel message, they are converted. They become baptized by the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a fluid term. No puns intended. <laughs> but he brings us safely through our baptism. We trust in Christ. We begin a new life. You know, Christ spoke of his baptism at the cross. He was baptized by pain and misery and suffering. He suffered for our sins. He made atonement for our sins. And as a result, he offers the gospel freely. He invites everyone, regardless of the past, regardless of the present, and without any concern for the future, he calls us to himself. And as Christ's resurrection was the beginning of a new life, we humble ourselves and cry out for the righteous cleansing of Christ, and we too begin a new life. Of course, we still struggle with sin. God made a gracious covenant with Noah that we read about. What we didn't read about is what happened later. After this gracious covenant, whenever the ark landed finally that Noah uh, built uh, a vineyard and he got drunk from it and his son saw his nakedness and once again we see the terrible effects of human sin. And that goes on all the way throughout Israel's history until finally the Lord sent the new covenant through his son Christ who would make the perfect sacrifice so that no longer would we live like Noah and Moses and David and all others, we would have the Christ inside of us to propel us toward righteousness, to enable us to obey God's law, 
and to live in peace until he comes for us or we go to be with him. Let me ask you a question on this first Sunday of Lent this morning. Has God's gracious redemption been applied to your heart? Has the spiritual implications of your physical baptism taken place? Has the outward sign led to an inward reality where you trust in Christ and you struggle against your sin and you long to be with Him every day and to have enhanced fellowship with Him? I pray that's the case. That we would focus our thoughts and our attentions on the passion of Christ throughout this Lenten season as we confess our sins, as we commune with Christ and rely upon His strength and mercy and grace to enable us to live the Christian life. If you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you lovingly this morning to embrace Him by faith, to put your trust and faith in Him alone for your salvation and for all of us to draw near to Him and cling to Him this day and throughout our lives. Let's pray together. Lord God, we see your Son, the Lord Jesus, in our Gospel reading today, saying, Repent, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Lord, as we look at our world and the chaos in it, we know that you, Lord Jesus, are coming again soon. And so I pray that you would penetrate hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would bring about humility. That, Lord, if we've been baptized, we would see the full fruition of that baptism in salvation through faith in Christ alone. And, Lord, if not, you've never even begun the Christian walk, I pray this morning that your voice, through the Holy Spirit, from Genesis to Revelation, your voice, Lord Jesus, would speak to the hearts of those who don't know you and draw them to yourself. Convict them so that they might find relief and salvation and a clean conscience by trusting in you. Lord, do all these things and we'll give you the praise and glory for your actions in our life. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.